With the recent launch of ChatGPT 3.5 by research and deployment company OpenAI, questions are being asked and debates are being sparked by everyone from engineers to writers to doomsday prophesiers. To get to the bottom of what ChatGPT really is and what it means for the future of business, I'm speaking with Dr. Richard Ford, CTO of cybersecurity firm Praetorian. So first of all, can you tell me just, you know, what is ChatGPT? Yeah, so so actually I think it's a great place to start because a lot of people take ChatGPT as, you know, almost like this artificial general intelligence, right? And it's not. What, what GPT-3 or GPT-3.5, which is the underlying model that drives chat GPT, so chat GPT is sort of the implementation, GPT-3 is the model. It's what's called a large language model. And so what it is really is it's designed to provide intelligent sounding responses to questions phrased in, in language. And, and that's really all it is. And it, I say all, it's actually a, sort of a miracle of modern engineering. But uh, what it is, is this, you know, challenge and response model. It's not reasoning. It's just un it's understanding language and responding sort of intelligently to it. Okay. So um, do you think ChatGPT would pass the Turing test or do you know if it has been giving the, uh, given the Turing test? I think, yeah. So, so the Turing test is, is this sort of interesting test, right? Where it's, you know, I'm going to talk to this thing, and if I can't figure out if it's the person or or a bot, then, then it passes the Turing test. That's an interesting test, but you've got to ask yourself, is that sort of the right litmus test for what are you trying to measure? So so today, that would be a great test of, am I talking to Aaron or am I talking to a bot? Great. You know, you're indistinguishable to a bot. It doesn't tell me if that model is intelligent or if that model is reasoning, or if that model is uh, artificial general intelligence, as opposed to just really good at chatting with people. So I think for for some people, yeah, you know, they're going to chat to them, they go, oh, this must be a really smart person. Um, the question is, you know, what is the value of that litmus test based on how technology has, has really progressed today? Okay, that kind of leads me into my next question. So would you consider uh, GPT to be narrow AI or general AI? What is the difference between the two? And uh, when does one start becoming the other? Right. So so let's define our terms, right? A narrow AI is a model that's been trained for a very specific thing. So Praetorian, for example, we make use of what I would consider to be narrow AIs to solve certain security problems. Um, a general AI or an artificial general intelligence is a, an AI that can sort of think, to use this sort of anthropomorphized word. It's, it's generally intelligent and can reason and, and pull problems apart. GPT-3 is what's called a large language model. In many ways, that's a narrow AI because it's been, it's been generated to create plausible responses to certain inputs. Now that has the facsimile of looking like these are very intelligent answers, but I'm sure you've been following the news. There've been a number of cases where people have been writing articles with it and going, oh, that didn't work out very well. Here are some sort of errors in, in judgment because it wasn't trained to make judgments. It was trained to give plausible responses to queries made in natural language. So, so it's a narrow AI, it looks, maybe to the untrained eye, a bit more like a general AI, but I think we're a, a decent ways out from a, from a general AI right now. Okay. So when you say a decent ways out, what does that mean? 
So I'm going to get some air cover from the legendary Yogi Berra right now and say predictions are hard, especially about the future. Um, <laughs> the, the world is moving incredibly quickly right now, right? So, so some of the models and the model performance that we're seeing today would have been hard for me. And, and I'm a researcher, right? It's my job to have my finger on the pulse to have predicted a couple of years ago. So, you know, and, that's, and then there's this whole question of, is it even possible? So when we talk about model sentience, for example, there are some there are some scientists who believe that that's not really plausible. There are other scientists who think it is. So how quickly can we get it? There's a question of, is it possible? Um, but secondarily, you get into this philosophical question as if something looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and flies like a duck. Is it really a duck, you know, or not, right? So as these models get closer and closer to looking like they're intelligent, are they? Right. Well, that's a, a really good point. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds with that. But it's sort of the idea of uh, what Descartes, you know, I think, therefore I am. But does that mean that I can know that you are? Right. So you you, you don't understand anybody else's uh, mind. You don't know if they're even necessarily real or if, you know, they're, they're just a projection right. of of your consciousness. Um, so yeah, I can understand how it's it's really hard to define that term sort of sentient or, or conscious. So what does the next iteration of GPT look like? Obviously not sentient, but uh, what sort of advances can we see? Another great question. I'm going to go back to the source on this one, Sam Altman, right? Who's I think the CEO of OpenAI. What he said was prepare for disappointment. And I think that the reason for that is that the, the expectations are just sky high. And this is science. This is research. This isn't, you know, whiz-bang, there's this magic thing happening and, and wonderful stuff is happening. It will be incrementally better, right? And I think people have such big um, expectations for what, what that word incremental means that, you know, I think people will be disappointed no matter how great it is. I think researchers may be very, very impressed. But for the average person on the street, they might be expecting, you know, this sort of quantum leap, and, and it might not be visibly that big. What you'll see is better fidelity in the answers, more sophistication, ability to track um, steps, you know, maybe some improvements in the model being able to eloquently state, this isn't a good question to ask me, right? Because it it will do that eventually with enough prompting. I, I tried to play a game of chess, for example, with, with ChatGPT just for fun. And they said, sure, I'd love to play a game of chess with you. And after about three moves, the model and I both agreed that it couldn't play chess because it was moving <laughs> pieces that just weren't there. And, and it actually said, I am a large language model. I am not designed to reason about chess. Games. And I'm like, fair answer. <laughs> Today's episode of Innovation Tech Talks is brought to you by Omron. Omron is a world leader in technology designed to solve social issues, improve lives, and build a better tomorrow. They serve a range of industries which utilize their technologies to innovate and grow factory automation, healthcare, mobility, and energy management. In the industrial automation business, Omron technology demonstrates the power of machines to unleash human potential, pursuing the ideal in automation in which people and machines are working together in harmony. Omron provides sensing, control, safety, vision, motion, and robotics technologies for the automotive, food and beverage packaging, semiconductor, electronics, life sciences, and infrastructure industries. 
For over 80 years, Omron has helped industrial businesses maximize potential by solving problems with creativity. Learn more or go to automation.omron.com. Okay, so what do you think are the practical applications for GPT in the near future within the next couple of years? Because as you said, um, you know, when when it writes articles, sometimes it's uh, not 100% accurate. Um, there's obviously still some evolving for it to do. So, um, yeah, where does it fit in, um, you know, for practical applications? Yeah, so I was watching an interview with Santia from um, Microsoft, right? And he he's obviously a very smart guy. And, and in an offhand sort of almost parenthetical comment, he said, well, this is like the Industrial Revolution. And he's right. So, so the... Um, the implications uh, of this are, are going to be very broad. I think you'll see some short-term things like content creation is going to change, right? We're going to start seeing blog articles, you know, tweets, posts written by ChatGPT. We're going to see the increased uptake of developers using Codex, which is another OpenAI model based on GPT-3 or 3.5, getting used for, for more code generation is an assist for developers. I think that you, you'll see obvious applications in things like email clients or, you know, customer help bots, um, support bots, those kind of things. I don't think we recognize the magnitude of the, of the ripples that we're going to see on the pond, right? Because, because this is going to change how we interact with the computer in some ways. So we've, we've seen Microsoft jumping in with both feet talking about, you know, we're going to get into search. And by the way, I want to remind everybody about Lambda. Everyone's forgotten about Lambda. It's like OpenAI is the only game in town. We've all forgotten about the work Google's been doing in, mm -hmm. in this. They're doing some extremely interesting work too. So it's not like this is the only game in town. If you go back a few months, there was the long discussion about the Google engineer who thought Lambda had become sentient, right? And Lambda, if you've played with it, is also pretty amazing. Um, you can you can actually get access to that as a, as a regular person too. They have a sort of open beta, or they did, and it will it will play games with you. It will write a story with you. It'll play. Let's imagine, you know, with you, and it'll tell you a, a story or make something up about that. It's pretty amazing. So this is going to be one of those things where the second order effects could be very large. And again, I think the comment about, about the Industrial Revolution is actually very much on point because if you look at some of the consequences of the Industrial Revolution, they were very hard to see. What, what drove the Industrial Revolution was advances in, in cloth making, right? You know, move, the spinning jenny and, and all that good stuff. What it led to was the creation of inner city slums or, you know, some of the wage disparity we still see in the workforce today between men and women, for example. You can trace the origins of some of that back to the Industrial Revolution. Those second order effects are going to be very hard to see. Yeah, speaking of those second order effects and some of the negative side effects that this may have, you know, uh, as a writer, I have to ask the question, is GPT coming for my job? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, also, um, you know, if it's, if it's coming for my job, then what about everybody in the content creation space? Uh, could this be an industrial revolution two or 3.0, uh, that is going to force mass layoffs? 
I think we'll see mass changes, maybe, is, is, is the glass half full way of looking at this, right? So, you know, by analogy, when the calculator came out, everyone said, oh, my God, people won't be able to count anymore. And that kind of didn't happen. It kind of did a bit, but not that much. Um, for the content creation world, I think, I think the smart players are going to figure out how to use this to be more efficient. How can I use tools like this to be better? I think there's a couple of, there's only a couple, there's three ways that you can go with an advance like this. One, you take the Luddite approach, right? I'm not going to touch this. I'm going to refuse to use the tech. The other is you jump in with both feet without thinking about the drawbacks, but going, well, the computer said this, it must be true. And I think the real winners will be somewhere in the middle of the people that, that adopt and figure out how do I use this? for good? How do I use this to make myself faster and better and more effective rather than this sort of run for the hills approach or embrace everything and I'm sure it'll be okay approach. That sort of rapid adoption, but with cautiousness and thought. And I think as a content creator like you, that's the approach that I would recommend. Jump in with both feet, but with your eyes wide open. Right. Um, so talking about AI more broadly, um, what do you think are the greatest benefits that uh, AI in its current in, uh, uh, iteration and, you know, the foreseeable future iterations, what are the greatest benefits that you see from that? Like smart cities, more sustainability, um, you know, agricultural applications? I, th I think all those things, so, so it's interesting, right? Because you and I are looking at this sort of through slightly different lenses. And I like, I like that difference. You know, you're thinking about the hard application. I'm thinking about the amazing democratization that we're going to have of people having access to sort of smarts, tutoring and knowledge they didn't have before. In the same way that World Wide Web brought content to the people, um, you know, suddenly you were limited by your desire rather than your access to, to, to knowledge. I think we'll see that and then some with large language models like, like GPT-3 or GPT-4 when it, when it ships. So this democratization and enabling could be, could be really transformational. The trick is, yeah, harnessing that transformation for good because not all change is good. So, so by lowering the bar of allowing different people to get into technology. So for example, you know, not knowing a lot about website building, we could use this to help you build, you know, little animations on your website or things that you want for a website. That's a democratization that opens the pool of people who can get involved in that knowledge worker work. And that potentially is very exciting. Hmm. Okay, let's talk about uh, the the other side of it, uh, the negative side of it. So uh, bots are already a huge problem uh, in social media. We've seen that on Twitter, there are more than 5% of the users. Um, we, we saw a report uh, about that just recently. So what is uh, GPT going to do for that whole space when we're, we're already not sure if we're talking to a human or to a robot? Yeah, so this is this is one of the societal consequences that I think is the most unknown and potentially one of the most worrying. So if you think about it, we're still wrestling today with the impact of social media and the changes social media have made throughout our society, from how people get their news to the knock-on effects to the political system. You know, it's very, very broad. It's very, very interesting. We're still working through how those changes work. Now, if you tip 
all this content is easily auto-generated, does it does it pollute that stream so much that it becomes completely worthless? Does it lead to these sort of creation of really powerful echo chambers? Um, does it lead to broad scale disinformation? Does that lead to a, a sort of um, knee jerk reaction or overreaction to, to walk away from some of these things? I don't think we know the answer, but I think we know that, that you're asking about the right area for sure. And I think the implications could be very, very interesting. An approach to go, I'm just going to ban content that I can detect as AI generated is not going to be very effective because we've already seen that we're going to see this built into mail clients, for example. We're going to see this built into Office, is, is my prediction, you know, to be a writing assist. So everything's going to have this little whiff of AI. So how this plays out for things like social media or how we get our news is, is anybody's guess. But it could be extremely worrying, yes. Okay, maybe not the answer I wanted to hear. <laughs> uh, so what is Praetorian doing uh, in the AI space? Uh, are you utilizing uh, GPT or, or Lambda in any kind of way or any other AI? So we have uh, what I would call a narrow AI model going back up to the top. For example, we use it in, in many places, right, in, in our back end. But they're specifically trained and measured models for the task at hand. Um, the best example of that is our Nosy Parker secret scanner. So what Nosy Parker does is it can look at somebody's source code or it can look at a web page or the source code for a web page and say, hey, this is a secret. This thing shouldn't be shared with the outside world. And it's extremely fast, extremely accurate. As far as we know, it's the most accurate secret scanner out there. And so what it does is it allows us both to be more effective when we're trying to breach customers, when we're trying to prove customers have insecurity, and it allows customers to secure their own systems by um, you know, making certain that they're not exposing things that they don't want to expose. And we'll keep extending that. We have another model that is pretty good at detecting weaknesses in, in code. So one of the things, Aaron, that people do is you're writing code and you might you might need to connect to a database, say. And so you actually hard code the username and the password that you're going to use to connect to that database into your source code. And that's a bad practice. It's how big breaches happen. Because if anybody gets access to that source code, now they've got access to your database. Now they're in your real system. What a secret scanner does is it can automatically look and say, hey, I know this thing. This looks like a secret. This shouldn't be in source code. And we use machine learning to do that because that's very difficult to do with just rules. But with machine learning, it turns out it's it's quite, I wouldn't say it's easy to do. I think my director of ML would kill me if I said that. But it is tractable to do. And we've built this model that's absolutely amazing. There's actually an open source version of the non-ML-based um, version that's out there on GitHub. And I can send you a link if anybody wants to play with it. And we use the machine learning powered version in-house. Okay, great. Yeah, so um, are there a lot of open source uh, machine learning uh, applications out there that people can use? Yeah, actually, I think one of, I mean, the goal behind OpenAI, for example, it's in the name, yeah. was to make make these models more available. And there, there are a lot of resources. If somebody wants to go and play with machine learning or study machine learning, there are incredible resources that as a, as a computer scientist, when I was at college, I could only dream of the resources that are available today. And there are examples of implementations. You could even use ChatGPT 
to show you, right? You can go on to OpenAI's website and say, hey, ChatGPT, if I want to learn, you know, what's a good open source project to go play with to learn a bit more about machine learning? And it will actually answer that embedding in a very sort of sensible sounding way. That's awesome. Yeah, sometimes we forget uh, the time that we're living in. It's just incredible. So um, is there anything else that you would like to add? I think the one the one thing that I would want to add is people shouldn't be afraid and they shouldn't be just drinking completely the AI Kool-Aid either, right? Skeptical, but rapid adoption. The world has changed. The best way to deal with that change, if you're worried about that change, for example, the best way to control the future is to step into it, not to stay in the past. People have to move forward. And, and we owe it to each other as a society to figure out how to use these tools for the betterment of all rather than, you know, highlight the negative. So I'm very excited. I'm cautious. And my job as a thought leader is to get to that future before, before others do and try and shape the course so that the benefit is the best for all. Perfect. Well said. Uh, okay. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. Thank you so much, guys. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, Richard, I appreciate your insights. Uh, I have learned a lot today. Uh, and I, you know, I feel a little, little bit better about AI. Um, thanks again. Nice to meet you. All right. Cheers. Take care.